Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Sirius XM Progress. What a day, what a week, what a year fate has had in store for us, if only we'd known. Um, proud to tell you, for the next three hours, we're coming at you live from here at SiriusXM Studios. That would be my SiriusXM studio in Harlem, Thea Harper's SiriusXM studio in Brooklyn, and the the hub, Don't uh, forget me. South Carolina, South Carolina studios for our Grand Mac daddy. Chris Hauselt, our executive producer. What a show we have for you tonight. There's so much going on in the news. I don't know where to begin. Well, I know where I'm going to begin. We're going to talk with um, Hunter Walker, co-author of the new book, The Truce, Progressives, Centrists, and the Future of the Democratic Party. You know how we're always talking about that civil war in the Democratic Party between, you know, Hillary's friends and Bernie's friends, that whole fuck you for only agreeing with me on... 85% of the issues, that civil war, they wrote a whole book about it and how things got bad for the Clinton election and how things got good in time for the Biden election. It's a fascinating book. I'm so thrilled to have Mr. Walker here. And also, his name is Hunter Walker. He sounds like a cowboy and a cop. So that excites me. And in hour number two, Star Mystery Science Theater 3000 and this show, TV's Frank, Frank Conniff will be here to discuss politics, pop culture, and answer all of your questions from complex tax preparations to your romantic life. Frank is here to help you. 866-997-4748 is our number here at the Love Fest. 866-997-GRIT. Got a great, great message from uh, No Spiders or Visigoths. That's his name over there on the Twitter, uh, also known as Alaric CDZ. After last night's segment with Simon Moya-Smith and Julie Franchella, where we found out we really do have the only weekly First Nations segment on a national radio show, um, Larrick CDZ wrote, uh, old white guy here, the Simon makes white people feel bad segment is my favorite of the week. I hope your show doesn't get banned in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your show doesn't get. I hope. I I hope so too. Um, that's that's. And then, uh, thanks for giving Julie and Simon a platform. Hey, we are thrilled that Julie and Simon want to do our show every week, and it's really been fun as we build up our roster of regulars to have both Julie and Simon and the God Squad move to weekly every week because. 
who would have known there's so much to talk about between native issues and uh, revoltingly fake Christians. So there's a lot of fun to be had. It's going to be a really fun year. I refuse to let anyone listening to this show get down and depressed and morbid over the state of our politics. There's too much at stake. And as I'm very fond of saying, uh, negativity is a habit. And despair is a luxury. We don't got time for it. I want to congratulate Tim Scott on his very real engagement and his very real upcoming wedding. It's great. Um, I also want to congratulate Tim Scott's wedding planner for getting all of the deposit up front, if you know what I'm saying. Whew, would you get engaged to make Donald Trump like you more? Would you get down on one knee for a woman so Donald Trump will give you the chance to get down on two knees before him? Chris, there's so many jokes we can't make about Tim Scott. There's so many jokes that are just not cool for us to make about Tim. All I'll say is Tim Scott has never seen how the movie Django Unchained ends. And he is not going to like it. Our number for the next three hours is 866-997-4748. It's Friday, 866-997-GRIT. I'm John saying I'm the host of the new uh, Newsmax uh, Donald Trump game show, Republican Dementia Test Challenge. Watch for that to roll out right after the election. All right, let's get to it. There's a lot we have to cover. As you may have heard by now, a jury has ordered Donald Trump to pay $83.3 million to writer and friend of this show, E. Jean Carroll. Over defamatory remarks he made about her while he was president in response to her rape accusation. I want to talk about this, but I know you all want to talk about this. We're going to make you wait for it. Just a second. Everybody listening to the Fugelsang podcast or on demand or on the app, you guys are also always allowed to call in about events like this. But just want to tuck on your coat about a few other stories that aren't going to get as much hype as E. Jean Carroll's verdict. The International Court of Justice sided with South Africa today. In their prosecution of Israel for war crimes, they noted several of the key elements of genocide are in place in Gaza. They stopped short of calling for an immediate ceasefire in the region. Now, Israel's offensive is entering its fourth month. And as you guys know, Hamas are very bad guys. Hamas are terrorists. Hamas are Nazis. They're awful. Having said that, entire neighborhoods in Gaza have been wiped off the map. Critical supplies are running out all across the region. More than 2.2 million people are facing starvation and dehydration and deadly disease right now. More than one and a half million Palestinian humans have been internally displaced, many of them many, many times, according to the UN. And more and more world leaders are warning against the mounting Palestinian death toll. The attacks on Gaza have killed at least 26,083 people, the majority of whom are women and children and old people. The CNN and American sources cannot independently verify the figures because it's very hard to report from inside the war zone. Israel is strongly opposing calls for a ceasefire, maintaining it needs to press on with their aim of eliminating Hamas. Never mind the fact that eliminating Hamas will not stop terrorism, nor will it stop protests against the treatment of the Palestinian people. Israel is making the same exact mistake George W. Bush made and destroying all the goodwill his nation earned after a horrific terrorist attack. The only difference is George W. Bush didn't invade Iraq to keep himself from going into prison. Here is the UN's International Court of Justice announcing its verdict today, siding with South Africa in seeking an investigation into potential genocide. And that's all this is in Gaza. In the court's view, the aforementioned facts and circumstances are sufficient to conclude that at least some of the rights claimed by South Africa and for which it is seeking protection are plausible. This is the case 
with respect to the right of Palestinians in Gaza to be protected from acts of genocide and related prohibited acts identified in Article 3, and the right of South Africa to seek Israel's compliance with the latter's obligations under the Convention. Okay, so what does Bibi Netanyahu think about this verdict, you're probably asking. Again, he is the man who propped up Hamas, who wanted them in power, because he didn't want peace. He needed a boogeyman to keep himself in power, and he needs this battle now because he is going to be on trial for corruption charges. This time a year ago, it was just the young people and the liberals protesting him in the streets. Now, it's every layer of Israeli society. He has not kept them safe, and that has been the never-ending line of bullshit he has fed the Israeli people for 20 years. So in light of this, surely he must be humbled and apologetic, Bibi. Israel's commitment to international law is unwavering. Equally unwavering is our sacred commitment to continue to defend our country and defend our people. Like every country, Israel has an inherent right to defend itself. The vile attempt to deny Israel this fundamental right is blatant discrimination against the Jewish state, and it was justly rejected. The charge of genocide leveled against Israel is not only false, it's outrageous, and decent people everywhere should reject it. On the eve of the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, I again pledge as Israel's Prime Minister, never again. Israel will continue to defend itself against Hamas, a genocidal terror organization. On October 7th, Hamas perpetrated the most horrific atrocities against the Jewish people since the Holocaust, and it vows to repeat these atrocities again and again and again. So you get the idea, right? Nothing new here. This will continue. But now here's what's interesting. The U.N. relief agency that's operating in Gaza announced that Israel has accused some of their staff of actually being involved in the October 7 attacks and that their contracts would be immediately terminated. Now, this is the weirdest story of all day. Chris told me about this, and I, I still can't figure it out. Remember last month, Israeli diplomats really got upset when the U.N. Secretary General Guterres used this rarely used tool to push for a ceasefire. And at the time, the Israeli foreign minister said that uh, he was a danger to world peace and that his call for a ceasefire in Gaza was the same as supporting the terrorists. Where have you heard that before? Maybe from Fox News? The first five years after 9-11, when they kept saying, if you don't do everything President Bush wants, you're with the terrorists. Well, this story is actually deeply concerning, and we don't have a lot of specifics yet, but I'm dying to know the truth about it, because good on Israel's security, if they pick this up, the UN Relief and Works Agency, UNWRA, you've heard of them. Their commissioner general said Israeli authorities showed them information that alleged that several of the employees were part of Hamas's disgusting rampage into southern Israel, where they kill at least 1,200 people in a day and kidnap more than 250 other people, many of whom, as you know, are still being held hostage. So they investigated this. They're trying to find out what employees were. They're going to be holding them accountable through the criminal prosecution. So we will get an answer on this. The commissioner general said he made the decision in order to protect the agency's ability to still deliver humanitarian aid. But as soon as this story came out, the U.S. State Department announced they had temporarily paused any funding for the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, which potentially means the civilian catastrophe in Gaza could get a lot worse. Now, one more bit of fuckery. Um, The plane that went down this week. Remember the Russian plane that went down this week where they said there were 65 POWs on there and six crew members and three security guards on this military transport when it was struck by what they say is a Ukrainian-made surface-to-air missile? So... 
Turns out, Ukraine has said only five bodies were delivered from that location, from the wreckage, to the local morgue. Russia said this plane got shot down and 65 POWs were killed on it. But they only brought five bodies to the local morgue. Turns out, today, we've learned that senior Russian officials were supposed to fly on that very plane that was shot down on Wednesday that killed, allegedly, 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war, but they were stopped at the last minute by their security services. There's a new video that shows horrific human remains charred up at the scene, and Russia's blaming Ukraine for downing it. But they now know that there were several VIPs from the military and political representation that were supposed to fly on this plane, and at the last moment, Russian security services ordered them not to board the plane and use another means of transport. Then the plane takes off and is mysteriously and quickly shot down while flying the opposite direction of Russia. So Ukraine's human rights commissioner said he believed the incident was a Russian false flag plot. And he said there's a list of Ukraine POW casualties, which they shared after the crash. And he said on the list of people, there were a lot of soldiers who had already been returned to Ukraine in a previous prisoner swap. We don't know anything about this, but when Chris told me this story, I was like, did they try to Prigozhin some people? Let's not forget Putin's right-hand man who dared challenge Putin, and Putin forgave him until the day Putin had his plane shot down last year. And that story was pretty much forgotten by year's end, and the right-wing eunuchs who defend Vladimir Putin never want to bring it up. All right, one more positive story, and then we'll get to the really positive one. In 2022... They think that there were 249 million cases of malaria and there were 600,000 deaths. And Africa was the home to 95% of those 600,000 deaths. Almost half a million children under five died in Africa from malaria just in 2022. And this is one of those stories you hear about on the news with a celebrity saying, please donate, please donate. But it's not famine, <laughs> although famine is preventable. But Cameroon is doing something the entire world needs to pay attention to. They have started a mass rollout of the world's first World Health Organization approved malaria vaccine aiming to vaccinate a quarter million children this year and next year. Babies at a health center near the capital of Yaoundé were the first to get it. This is the world's first routine immunization program against malaria. It's happening in Africa and it's raised incredible excitement. This vaccine doesn't just reduce deaths from malaria. It turns out the vaccine reduces all kinds of deaths among children by 13%. It's huge news. It's incredibly positive. And I just wanted to bring you a few stories internationally that I consider to be quite important and relevant since the news is not going to cover that. Instead, they're going to be talking about $83 million and let's us do the same now, shall we? Before closing arguments in his defamation case, oh, Donald Trump, the man who tried to take credit for the Obama recovery and is now trying to take credit for the Biden recovery. He took to Truth Social for one more vent session. I don't even know who this woman is. I have no idea who she is, where she came from. This is another scam. It's a political witch hunt. And somehow we're going to have to fight this stuff. We cannot let our country go into this abyss. This is disgraceful. You have somebody running for office. You have a woman that's financed and lied about it. She totally lied about it by Democrat operatives, like just about the biggest one there is. 
And she said that wasn't true. They mm. found that she lied about it. And lied the judge wasn't it. even, I guess, letting it be put in as evidence. The whole thing is a scam. And it's a shame. And it's a disgrace to our country. Oh, man. You know what? I recommend for this year, go ahead and make hoax, scam, and disgrace your Donald Trump drinking words, and you'll, you'll make it to November just fine. Um, so listen, he was already guilty. He was guilty before the trial began. He was guilty when he was found guilty last year. And then he defamed her more. That's all this was. He defamed a woman he was already found guilty of defaming. And so last time she got $5 million. This time, she wanted 10 and U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan ruled last fall that Trump defamed her by saying in 2019 he had never met her. That was a lie. And that her her book, which she had accused him of raping her in the mid-90s, should be sold in the fiction section. He also, on tape, saw a picture of her and thought she was his second wife. I want you to know the good news about this. Uh, Donald Trump being a documented sex abuser means that if you're ever writing on your computer about his racism, but accidentally the word racist autocorrects to the word rapist, you're still correct. That Congrats. You're good. Today, a jury of Donald Trump's peers unanimously ordered him to pay not $10 million, but $83.3 million in defamation charges. Here is Neil Cavuto. On Fox News, not making MAGA happy by stating the obvious. I'm doing the math. It's always dangerous, but I know at least a little <laughs> bit about addition here. If you add everything up, including, you know, the 18.3 million, the 5 million originally, we're looking at damages in this defamation case eclipsing 83.3 million dollars. That, that, that's staggering. It is staggering in particular, Neil, because, you know, just if you want to get down to brass tacks, and I, I don't want to be misunderstood as being at all approving of either what Trump allegedly did or <laughs> the way he's treated uh, Ms. Carroll. Right. I, don't, I don't approve of what he did. Or <laughs> Oh, staggering, staggering. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. And let's break it down, shall we? Because the best part of this E. Jean Carroll verdict is is trying to calculate how many of Donald Trump's softcore gay porn NFTs are these gullible cult members going to have to buy to cover that eighty three point three million for him? I mean, right? That's that's it, right? <laughs> He's going to be selling so many of these NFTs so the gullibles will get out there and and do what blindly obedient vassals do. So. This verdict says that she proved more than nominal defamation by Trump. Trump has to pay $7.3 million for compensatory damages, $11 million for reputation repair, $65 million in punitive damages, uh, total $83.3 million. Now, folks, I know you're wanting to know, what does Rudy Giuliani think about all of this? Well, the judge is a disgrace to the greatest court in America. It's uh, called the Mother Court, United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, which had some of the greatest judges in American history. This judge is a pure disgrace. He's telling he's telling a lawyer what questions to ask. That's totally ridiculous. He won't let him defend himself. Uh, and, and how is it inconsistent? Let's say, let's say he was. First of all, he was. He was found not guilty or not liable for rape. It was sexual assault, not rape. And second, 
you can be you can be uh, guilty of rape, and still a person can be a wacko. Yeah. That's what he, that's what he's. Uh, uh, that was a defamation. You're allowed to that's still great. defend yourself against defamation. I got right. Well, the so, so so maybe he really did rape her, but she's crazy, so it's okay. I gotta say, as defense attorneys go, Rudy Giuliani was worth every penny Donald Trump paid him. You know, in the next Avengers movie, what happens is uh, uh, Thanos hires Rudy to be his lawyer and is destroyed within 15 minutes. So it's a very short film. So in closing, I just want to remind you, folks, please don't let Donald Trump's $83.3 million verdict in the E. Jean Carroll case distract from the fact that he officially wants the border crisis to get worse and for the Senate to do nothing about it. And he's on the record saying he wants your economy to crash because those things might be good for him. And I'd, I'd just like to remind some women voters in the U.S. who are listening, I, I realize Donald Trump being a rapist might discourage some of you from voting for him. And the fact that he calls women pieces of ass might discourage some of you from voting for him. But in fairness, he's also the reason millions of you have fewer rights than your mothers and grandmothers did. We want to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. A quick break. We will be right back with Hunter Walker, co-author of The Truce, Progressives, Centrists, and the Future of the Democratic Party. You're going to want to buy this book. We'll be right back. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. So friends, I hope you'll join me on my audio podcast, Justice Matters. You care about ethics in government, criminal justice reform, a conflict-free federal judiciary? I thought so. On Justice Matters, we take on issues involving the need to reform our government and its institutions. And we talk about real, achievable reform. I hope you'll join us. Look for Justice Matters wherever you usually get your podcasts. This is Series X in Progress. I'm John saying. Coming up in the next couple of weeks on the show, it's going to be the return of uh, Senator Bill Bradley, which is nice to see. So uh, the return of Rob Reiner, nice to see. And Dr. Phil. Hmm. We'll see about that. We are at 866-997-4748. I'm excited to have Dr. Phil here. His, his book's about politics, sort of, a little bit. Uh, so one of the themes that we talk about relentlessly on this show is the incredibly stupid civil war on the left that uh, has plagued us for so many years. Watching Bernie's fans and Hillary's fans beating up each other for a year and a half, 
pretty much for the ethos I call fuck you for only agreeing with me on 85% of issues. It was horrible. Uh, Pelosi seemed to bring it together, and we began to see some of the fissures in the Democratic Party heal a bit when they united under Donald Trump in 2017, especially to save Obamacare and oppose his tax plan. But, you know, it's up to the rest of us to speculate. How has the Democratic Party begun to come together and heal these wounds? And why did these wounds happen? Why wasn't the Bernie-Hillary civil war more preventable? And why is the party seen such incredible message discipline and healing and finding just in never-ending reunions and, and unifications between the center and the left? Well, there's a book out now that I am telling you, you are going to want to read and buy a copy for the fans of modern politics in your life. Hunter Walker is an investigative reporter. And if you read Talking Points Memo, you know his work. He's a former White House correspondent. He wrote the New York Times bestseller, The Breach. And he worked with the former Congressman Dan Riggleman to examine the January 6th Capitol attack and suing investigation. You've read his stuff in The New Yorker and The Rolling Stone. But now his new book, which he co-wrote with Lupin B. Lupin, is The Truce, the definitive history of... Uh, half a decade of upheaval and civil war in the Democratic Party, where a new generation of progressives led by an 80 year old fiercely pursued their ideals in a deeply centrist establishment and somehow through backroom deals and a lot of battles we never heard about found a political unity that was the least expected thing to happen in the age of Trump. I am telling you, this is the book about politics you want to read. It is as compulsively fun and readable as it is informative. And it's a pleasure to welcome Hunter Walker to SiriusXM. Well, John, that's so kind of you to say, and thanks for having me tonight. Oh, thank you. I'm a big fan of, you know, good fly on the wall political narratives. But boy, your sources have given y'all some really, really fun information. And I got to start with the most obvious question. When did you conceive of actually writing this book about the civil war on the left? Because I'm so grateful someone finally did it. I've been pulling my hair out on this show for years between the, the leftists and the centrists trying to be Jimmy Carter and Bono and Desmond Tutu to bring peace between these people. <laughs> it's amazing how many inner machinations were going on all this time. What, what was the origin of this idea? So, you know, I've spent uh, a long time in politics and I, I was on the trail uh, for the past three elections. So I really, you know, saw this happen in front of me. I mean, I was a New York City Hall reporter during Occupy. Um, and then I was in the early states during the Bernie and Hillary battle. Right. So it was really apparent, you know, that our politics was changing on the left. And of course, this coincided with the massive change on the right with the rise of Donald Trump. Right. And, you know, of course, I was a White House correspondent throughout the Trump administration. I, I wrote a book on January 6th. I have covered Trump. But it also struck me that, you know, amidst this avalanche of reporting on, you know, what was going on behind the scenes of the Trump administration, down to the soda he was drinking and who was up down each day, this maybe equally important shift in the Democratic Party, which is at least half the story, was not receiving the same level of coverage. Uh, yes. So Lupe is someone, uh, he's known to folks on Twitter as NYC Southpaw. Um, he and I actually uh, met in the courtroom of the Paul Manafort trial um, and teamed up covering some of the Trump legal battles. But the two of us sort of both realized we were also seeing this amazing story happen in the Democratic Party ranks. Uh, and we just teamed up to do our uh, the best we could, telling it um, in the full color and complexity that it deserved. And you you nailed it. I mean, I cannot say how fun this book is, although it's sometimes it's it, it's not always a delight to read. There is something in this book to uh, fascinate, 
delight and infuriate everyone to the left of Lindsey Graham in this book. And and one of the things that I found most fascinating is that you guys really get to the heart of Joe Biden's greatest strength of political maneuvering and negotiation. Uh, he's got a reputation for being a guy who's just one of the originals at backroom deals. And the passage about uh, Joe Biden reaching out to Andrew Cuomo regarding a 2020 primary run, I think to me is one of the most informative passages about how shrewd and in some cases perhaps calculating a politician Joe Biden really is. Yes, you're talking about a scene that we heard about from sources close to Andrew Cuomo, um, where, you know, when Cuomo was at the height of his COVID press conference fame, he apparently was seriously considering throwing his hat in the 2020 presidential race. And he got a call from Joe Biden, who, according to Cuomo World, said, you know, you've got to stay out because if me and you are both in the race, some leftist, quote unquote, nut will win. Um and I think you see a couple things there that, you know, extend at other points in the book and that are really important for understanding both this current moment and Joe Biden. Um, yeah. And the first thing there is, you know, at points, and, and, and I want to make sure to, to say that very carefully, at points, Joe Biden has passed himself and acted very much in opposition to the pro, uh, um, the progressive wing. Of the Democratic oh, most of his Party. career, most of his career. Yeah. Yeah. And that's certainly how he roared into the 2020 race, you know, marketing himself as a moderate alternative to Bernie Sanders. Um, the other thing that I think we see in that scene with him and Cuomo cooperating is that, you know, there has been a degree of cooperation and consolidation in the establishment wing of the Democratic Party that we just haven't seen you know, among the insurgent progressives. And another, um, you know, previously unreported story that we we brought out in this book is how Barack Obama worked behind the scenes, also wheeling and dealing with phone calls to consolidate the moderates in the 2020 primary field behind Joe Biden. So those oh, yeah. two consolidations were instrumental in stopping Bernie Sanders, who, who really was the front runner, you know, coming out of New Hampshire. Um, and so I think, you know, that's a really interesting thing. On the other hand, when we looked at progressives, you know, we have a whole chapter on, you know, the Thunderdome race in New York 10 um, during the last midterms in New York, you know, bizarrely, despite being a very liberal state, was sort of a bloodbath for Democrats in an otherwise great year. And and one of the messiest races was, was New York 10, where due to these mm -hmm. quirks of redistricting, all of these people ended up battling it out together in Manhattan and Brooklyn. And really, the bulk of the votes probably went to progressives. But Dan Goldman, a relative moderate, ended up winning because the progressives right. couldn't do the same type of consolidation that you saw with Biden, Cuomo and Obama behind the scenes. I mean, the, the way you describe the Cuomo story, it's actually brilliant politicking by Biden, demonizing the left to get Cuomo to drop out. And how prescient, because what if Cuomo had gotten into the race and been able to use his mojo of COVID to beat off Biden? I mean, my God, can you imagine what would have happened in the first year of his presidency uh, with, with all of this information coming out? It would have been a, a, a disaster. And well, let, 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 go ahead. Let's think about this, too, because I love playing the alternative history game, right? <laughs> yeah. Keep in mind that Cuomo's scandal came up right in the middle of the 2020 campaign. So if yeah. he had, you know, at the height of his success, managed to, you know, start to ascend in that primary, you know, depending on the timing, right, 
it could have had massive implications because, you know, I think any Cuomo campaign was doomed to implode if it had started off. So Biden really headed something major off at the pass there. You know, it's interesting how I think the real theme of your book is just how how Joe Biden managed to build bridges. And it really is the story of these two old men, Biden and Bernie, who had been colleagues throughout the Senate. We don't really think of them as being much of an alliance, but it really is incredible how they came to work together and Bernie's blessing helped Biden a lot more than his blessing for Hillary Clinton. People forget Bernie Sanders did more events for Hillary Clinton than Hillary Clinton did for Barack Obama, but it still didn't translate to the kind of votes that that this did. What was the secret to it? A lot of us were expecting to see Bernie offered a a cabinet position, but that never materialized. So there's a big contrast between how Joe Biden handled Bernie Sanders and how Hillary Clinton did. You know, um, we talked to Bernie for this book. We talked to a lot of people in his organization. And, you know, unsurprisingly, there was a lot of lingering bitterness they had in 2016, in part because, you know, if you'll recall, he did do those events for Hillary, but they were willing to do even more. Right. Yeah. And she didn't really take him up on that, notably yeah. in some of the states where, you know, she ended up losing by the skin of her teeth. Um, and I think Biden, you know, worked very hard behind the scenes to build that alliance, the truce we refer to in our title, with Bernie Sanders and other progressives. And that's why I was saying before, you know, at points, Biden ran in opposition to progressives. But then, you know, once he actually locked down the nomination, once he actually got in office, I think he surprised progressives and everyone else with how much he worked with them and how far to the left he was. Uh, so what yeah. we saw was he he started these unity commissions with Sanders, with members of Sanders' team, with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And, you know, those unity commissions um, made a lot of policy and built a lot of personal relationships. One of the really notable ones that came out of that process was between Ron Klain, Biden's first chief That's of right. staff, and um, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, the chairwoman of the Progressive Caucus, um, and the two of them really worked together on Biden's first-term legislative agenda. And this ended up creating a dynamic where Jayapal, the squad, and the progressives were some of Biden's staunchest allies in the first half of his first term. And it was actually you know, what we term the radical centrists, Joe Manchin and Josh Gottheimer, who were sort of thorns in Biden's side. Yeah. Uh, so that's all really interesting stuff. You know, we captured a lot of that behind the scenes. Um, but I think what's interesting in this moment right now is that bridge that Joe Biden counterintuitively and carefully built through all this behind the scenes work that we were able to reveal is really in danger right now. Um, and, you know, what I think our book does is it lays out you know, the coalitions that Democrats need to win and how complex that is in a diverse party, right? And particularly the issue of Gaza is almost uniquely suited to imperil that alliance that we wrote about. Uh, And and what I mean is, you know, you have to bring together labor, you have to bring together young voters, you have to bring together people of color, right? And by and large, young voters, I mean, there's polls indicating three quarters of them don't approve of Joe Biden, and they attribute that that to Gaza. There's polls indicating a large portion of the Democratic base, I think as much as half, considers Mm -hmm. what Israel is doing, the genocide, right? Mm -hmm. So this is really creating a problem for Joe Biden, because of course, you know, support for Israel has been a bedrock of US policy. Jews are also an important 
part of the Democratic base. And, you know, one thing that we've seen just in the past seven days, and I think if you read our book, you're much more set up to understand it, is Jayapal actually gave this extraordinary interview to The New Yorker where she said, I am worried that this coalition is falling apart. And she said what I think for us and our readers was a clear allusion to Ron Klain. I feel like staff changes in the Biden administration have really changed things. And she went as far as saying she doesn't think Biden, you know, while taking pains to say she was going to continue to work for him, she doesn't think Biden is the same person he was in his first two years. What and it's that really, really. Well, we captured this scene in the book where Ron Klain was leaving and Jayapal, who had these regular phone calls with him and Biden, um, called him and she said, Ron, I'm worried. What am I going to do without you? And, you know, again, you know, as you said, we really tried to do this fly in the wall reporting where we're bringing people into the room. And Ron said to her, don't worry, you know, give Jeff Zients, my successor, a chance. And it seems like based on her public comments, that's not going well. Um, So, you know, I think this is a story of, as you said, the last half decade or so within the Democratic Party. But I would hope that it really sets readers up to better understand this year that we're in right now and frankly all the way up to 2028 absolutely i I, you know you've gone out of your way in the book to note that some of the white house do credit vice president harris with pushing the democrats to hone in on abortion which helped their midterm success of course and you talk about how she went after biden in the early debate and biden forgave her and and as you report he overruled some opposition among his aides and even his wife to pick Senator Harris to be his running mate. Um, We've heard reports of tension and how she's frustrated and some on her staff don't like her. Uh, This has been a feature of her time in power. I'm curious, who who did those in Biden's circle want him to pick as a running mate? So, you know, writing about Democratic politics is difficult. Democratic politics is difficult. I mean, I'm sure you know this with the work that you do. You know, and I think you, you, you pointed that out heading into this conversation. There's stuff you know, that people on the left, really any type of Democrat is going to read this book and there's going to be some scenes they love and there's going to be some scenes they hate, right? Because this is not our opinion. This is just our sort of survey, uh, our reported survey of what's going on in the party. Um, And I think one thing that's going on, a really central dynamic, is that, you know, Democrats have hold together this diverse coalition. They care about small D democracy and majority rule. Whereas Republicans, they have a different kind of chaos, right? They have January 6th. They have the rule of law going out the window. But on another level, they are in line behind their man, right? And when you have a largely racially homogenous party, when you have sort of an authoritarian model, in one sense, it's more unified. Whereas the Democrats have to, you know, deal with this division. And within that dynamic, I just really want to set that context because, you know, there's this Dems in disarray narrative. Right. And I think it ignores how crazy. Yeah. And it ignores how crazy things are on the right. And it also ignores, you know, as as you've said, and as we reported, how adept Joe Biden is. It ignores the fact that Democrats just won in 2020. They exceeded all expectations in 2022. Right. So, So the Democrats are not in disarray and they're not in the same kind of chaos that we see on the right. But they are divided. And there's no Mm -hmm. figure who sort of divides the party more than Kamala Harris. Right. And again, it's a complex story. She's a trailblazer on so many levels. She, you know, clearly has overcome obstacles that very few in politics or really many other fields have. Um, So I think it's important to acknowledge that and, and, you know, acknowledge that she's had a lot of success. But at the same time, you know, we talk to people who have worked for her and they said she should not be president. 
And they described a office and a presidential campaign in 2020 that was rife with mismanagement. Um, and, you know, I think there are a lot of people, including close to Joe Biden, who feel that he boxed himself in a little bit when he committed mm-hmm. to making a black woman his vice president, because it, it left him with very few options. Um, certainly, uh, you know, when you're talking about someone who has the stature and the name recognition, to be a natural fit there. Um, yeah. So I think there are people who sort of question that choice and question her readiness. At the same time, as I, th- I think you alluded to, uh, we heard from sources that she was a key driver in getting Democrats to focus on abortion in the midterms, yeah. which, which yeah. has become a huge part of their message um, and, and, you know, was a big driver of their success. And I think also you see Joe Biden make his his campaign manager, Julie Chavez Rodriguez, who comes out of Harris world. Um, so that seems to be a vote of confidence for her as well. So, you know, she's had her struggles, but, you know, there are some indications she may be finding her footing a little more. And I think, again, when I say this book prepares people for watching this next year, you know, Harris is obviously one of the key players. And I think we set the stage, you know, for people to understand both her strengths and weaknesses. I'm curious, in the course of your interviews with your sources, did any of these confidential folks offer specific reasons for their disfavor of, uh, of Vice President Harris? So, you know, and I know this from years as a White House correspondent, I think, you know, anyone who, who consumes White House journalism knows it it, it ends up, you know, get, getting heavily based on anonymous sources. And, and, and we do pride sure. ourselves on how many people went to on record and how Absolutely. much, you know, real firsthand stuff we were able to get. But, you know, things in Harris world are particularly fraught. Um, and I saw a situation there that I really can't recall in my decade plus of political reporting, where even the people who came to us to defend her would not go on record. You know, and and usually you see the backbiting off record, but someone's willing to step up and defend things publicly. And we just weren't getting that. We also didn't get a lot of, you know, defense and protection of her from the Biden campaign. So, hmm. you know, I think there are clear tensions and, and divisions behind the scenes. Um, and what we've heard talking to people, um, and, and you see it in this book, is, you know, there are just concerns about kind of the day-to-day management and the choices that are made. I mean, her campaign right. was one that had multiple divided power centers Throughout her career, I think she's had trouble sort of defining herself as, you know. So is it a, per, is it a personality is, issue? Is, is that it? It's, is it a is it a just a personal style or is it or is it actual things and actions that she takes? I mean, I think it's both. Right. I think I think. Okay. And that's part of why we you know, we didn't just get the gossip and the color in this book to be entertaining yeah. for readers. I mean, that's certainly part of it. But, you know, I think that that stuff, you know, I always say that politics is really office drama, workplace drama, but just with the <laughs> highest possible stakes in the universe. I think you're right. Um, I think you're right. And I think Kamala is an example of that. You know, and again, I think that's why it's important, you know, to contextualize this compared to the Republican Party. You know, their chaos is people storming in the Capitol and calling for the vice president to be hung. Democrats' <laughs> chaos is the kind of stuff that you might see in a cubicle Right. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the stakes are much higher. And I right. think, you know, 
when we see people upset at Kamala, it's that day-to-day management stuff. And just, you know, one anecdote from another part of the book that, you know, had not been reported previously that I think is the best example of what I'm talking about is we go into detail in the chaos in the 2020 Iowa caucus, which has ended up having implications that may affect this election and that will affect the Democratic's primary process going forward, the Democrats' primary process. But we found that Bernie Sanders, you know, he and his people believe he won the Iowa caucus. Um, we report for the first time that he ultimately got the same amount of delegates as Pete Buttigieg through, you know, previously unreported backroom dealing with Joe Biden. But also part of the reason Bernie was unable to stand up and say, no, I won when the state party app crashed is because his own app crashed and he That's didn't right. have his own numbers. And That's why right. was that? Because one of his staffers screwed up the sharing preferences on a spreadsheet. So I think that is the ultimate example that sometimes these little personal stories, this office gossip that goes on behind the scenes of a campaign have national historical implications when we're talking about politics. Well, let me ask you one more question. And I could talk to you about this book for days. I hope you'll come back. The story of Obama and Biden's phone call on the night of Election Day 2016 alone is worth buying the book. But you got so many terrific on the record interviews with Bernie and Cory Booker and Cuomo and Premier Diapol. Ilhan Omar's here. I'm curious of all the interviews off the record and on the record. What was what was the story or anecdote or truth that surprised you the most? You have so much data you've uncovered. What was the biggest surprise for you? Well, you know, as you were saying, I think, you know, just one of the things I was most amazed to hear was that story of what Joe Biden said to Obama on election night in 2016. Well, now you got to um, tell everybody. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, basically, uh, Biden had been doubted by Obama. Um, he, he, he and his people felt he was sort of rushed to make his own decision not to run um, and sort of pushed aside for Hillary. And he ended up saying, sorry, boss, I told you people don't like her. So, you know, Biden felt his instincts had been doubted um, and, you know, he he had questions about Hillary uh, and he felt he hadn't been listened to. Um, you know, we also got a private speech by Obama um, that I, I was yes. just endlessly fascinated by because he's someone, you know, I wanted to hear from throughout the Trump administration. Yes. He didn't publicly. And now our readers can actually see that false speech in the book. But but and, you know, one other anecdote I'll just share there is we, you get the story of Mike Bloomberg when he was running for president, actually going to Cory, sending emissaries to Cory Booker's house, you know, as his campaign is flaming out and only winning in American Samoa. And he essentially yeah. said, hey, Cory, will you be my running mate in this bizarre <laughs> sort of Hail Mary? That's right. But to directly answer your question, the most surprising thing for me is in our final chapter where we have a detailed interview with Bernie Sanders. And Bernie said something that really helped tie this all together for me. And he said, when you say the left, I don't know what that means. And the Mm. fact that Bernie Sanders, essentially the father of, of the modern socialist progressive movement, doesn't exactly know what the left is right now. I just found endlessly fascinating it's amazing because I think we don't know what it is either. Right. Yeah, it's always but that's how it always is. It's always changing. It's always evolving. It's always at war with itself. But I've this is exactly the book I've wanted to read for seven years. Hunter Walker is the co-author, along with Lupe Lupin. The book is The Truce, Progressives, Centrists and the Future of the Democratic Party. Sir, you're invited to come back here and talk more about this book anytime because it is as fun to read as it is fascinating. And I thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me.
Thank you. You wrote a great book. We'll be right back with your calls in just a moment. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John saying We're at 866-997-4748. Before we go to Mr. Conniff, uh, really good. Marie in Atlanta, you're on the line. Thank you very much for your patience on hold. Thanks for taking my call, John. Just wanted to take a moment to enjoy the delicious cup of schadenfreude of Trump being ordered to pay E. Jean Carroll a total of $83.3 million. Mm. Yes. Wow. Just Rudy wishes that. he had payouts that small. Rudy wishes he had payouts that small. <laughs> and isn't that the funny thing of it? That that Rudy's Rudy's problems are much bigger. Uh, I think your <laughs> assessment is right that you know Trump's unfortunate sycophants are going to buy his whatever those things are. The NFT, the softcore gay porn NFTs. Yes, of his head on other men's <laughs> bodies, because that's what manly men do. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to have to sell a lot of NFTs to a lot of homoerotic bigots out there. Going to have to do it. Oh, yeah. Well, remember that he apparently in his other either testimony or in documents that were provided um, on the case uh, regarding his tax issues. um, Apparently, he indicated that he had something like $414 million. That's what he said he had in cash on hand. So there was some analysis yeah. this evening about if if he's got to pay the 83.3, and likely he will have to. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, and if Tish James gets gets what she's asking for, which is I think her last request was $370 million, that would pretty much really? make him illiquid. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> that, would, that would clean him out in terms of cash. He'd have to sell assets. But now here's the question. Remember that he had to put his assets – essentially under the, the under a receivership pending the results mm-hmm. of the case. So I'm not mm. sure that he could even, I don't, I'm not even sure that he could pay it in cash. I think the assets would have to be liquidated first. Sold off, in order yeah. To disgorge, yeah. Chris and I had this fight today of, because Chris doesn't think that Trump is a billionaire. I think that if you added up all of Trump's properties and holdings that he is a billionaire, but I'm sure if you added in his debts, he's probably not. Mm-hmm. But just selling off the actual physical properties, I'm sure there's a billion lying around here. But he's he, and he made so much money as president, all of it illegally. But um mm-hmm. you know, I, I we have no way of knowing how much debt he's in. Exactly. 
Exactly. Well, and the other thing is, think about it. If he is in all that much debt, you know, Jared just got a t- cool $2 billion for oh, I know. nothing I anyone say, can identify. <laughs> oh, you have no idea, sister. We talk all the time about how Trump wanted to sleep with his daughter, but the reality is Ivanka married her dad. Outer borough mm-hmm. douchebag with a corrupt, evil father who has dreams of making it big in Manhattan real estate. Ivanka married her dad. We were making fun of the wrong Trump. Exactly. Exactly. But it's, yeah, $7.3 million for compensatory damages, $11 million for reputation repairs, $65 million in punitive damages, $83.3 million. It's almost like he's finally being punished for a lack of impulse control, because you know he's going to talk shit about her again right away. Oh, of course. Of course he will. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. You know, bear in mind, in some cases when you appeal a big judgment like that, the, usually the punitives, if they're like, you know, 20, 30 times what the actual compensatories are— then the courts will look at that and they'll do what's called remitter, which means they may reduce the judgment, at least as to the punitive. Yeah, and they probably will. at some will. point it's just, yeah. But in yeah. this case, I don't think they will. Because if She's you getting paid. It, the... She's getting paid, oh, right? Yeah. Like, like, no matter yeah. what. Mm-hmm. He's going to exactly. appeal it, but she's getting paid. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the court's going to reduce it because the compensatories are about the actually the punitives are a little over three times the compensatories if it had been again if it had been 20 times the compensatories or 30 times yeah he'd get some kind of reduction but i think they brought it in in just the right zone where he's not going to get a reduction he can appeal but he's not going to get a reduction it's beautiful and it's just the beginning it's only the first (laughs) cut of many that caesar will face (laughs) Marie, thank you so much for calling. You always make my day, but this time you're as fun as you are brilliant. Thank you so much. We're at 866-997-4748. In the words of Frank Conniff, wow, 83.3 million in damages. I don't see how Hunter Biden recovers from this. Frank Conniff is a comedy writer and performer who began his career writing for the Peabody Award-winning Mystery Science Theater 3000, where he played TV's Frank. He went on to write and produce and act on the ABC series Sabrina the Teenage Witch. He was a writer and producer on The Drew Carey Show. And I've had the pleasure of working with him on TV, on stage, and on the radio. It is a great pleasure to welcome one half of the Mad Czar back. And don't forget... Frank and Trace Bellew, the two mad scientists of Mystery Science Theater, have another live stream Tuesday, February 13th, the night before Valentine's Day. For the Mads are back. You can get information and tickets at dumb-industries.com. Mr. Conniff, welcome back. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Good to be thanks back. For... Uh, you had a great show out in San Francisco, I bet, huh? Thank you. It was a lot of fun. We did this show in L.A. last week, but I missed you terribly doing the show from the L.A. studios. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have you back. Um, and I know that you had a pretty rough week because I know you were pulling really hard for Dean Phillips, Frank. And I'm really sorry it didn't go better up there in New Hampshire. I have I have <laughs> Dean Phillips fever. Uh, and uh, it's just look, I don't necessarily agree with his platform, but the charisma is just so overwhelming. How can you not? Get into the Dean Phillips cult and uh, and and just get behind him. Although the, the the people who really have passion for true, genuine passion for Dean Phillips are the political consultants who have fleeced him for <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's and, the thing. Uh, That's the know. thing. Like when someone works for Bernie for a few years and then they go off to take money from Dean Phillips and all the progressives get angry at him. I'm like, oh come on, let the guy get, let Jeff Weaver get paid. For all the free work he did for democracy, yeah, let these guys he, sell out a little bit. He was in the comic book business, so he's he's hurting for money. 
It's true. I think Jeff Weaver owned a comic book, which is but the if Jeff, only thing about Jeff Weaver that I like. But 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 uh, if but if a Dean Phillips came to you or me and, and offered us a million dollars to write jokes for him on the campaign trail, I'd be like, as long as my name's not attached, here's ten pages of jokes, Dean. Where's my check? <laughs> sure, sure. But you know, you ha- but but you have someone like um, uh, Steve. Uh, the uh, Sarah Palin guy, the Lincoln Project guy, whatever his mm-hmm. name is. Um, I don't know uh, which one we're talking about. <laughs> you know, he's like the one that uh, Woody Harrelson played him in the movie. Oh, uh, Steve Schmidt. Yeah, Steve Schmidt Steve took some money. Schmidt, from yeah. who's, who's for years has been on TV, on MSNBC every night. Oh, Trump is the worst. Trump is horrible. He's a threat to democracy. Uh we, we can't have it. I may be a Republican, but I stand in moral superiority to Donald Trump. And then he goes and he tries to undermine Joe Biden in the uh, in the Democratic. But he knew that he knew that Dean Phillips was not going anywhere. He was going to do what you said. Just take Dean Phillips's money. And I'm sure he's going to vote yeah. for Biden anyway. You well, know, it's you it, know, I, I, don't, I don't approve of as you know, I am not. <laughs> I, I, I am the a harsh judge of the lincoln project uh i know oh i know I, that I I, I I i the only people i i i despise republican never trumpers almost as much as i despise republican trumpers no you don't old. i don't believe yes that. i do no, no, no. i do i don't believe a republican never trumper is <laughs> they want everything they don't want women to have rights to abortion they don't want to change gun laws oh that's uh, true they don't want You're to right. they don't they don't want to do anything that would help any kind of um, humanitarian thing. They just hate Trump. And apparently Steve Schmidt had a meeting with Trump in 2016 and it didn't go well. And, and and so he turned against him. The Rick Wilson, someone like Rick Wilson, who's every bit as reprehensible as as anyone you can think of. He's made a fortune. <laughs> no, um, I know, I know. Attacking him, it's just and they're bullshit. all they're they're all like guys who watched all seven Harry Potter movies, and halfway through the last one, they figured out Voldemort was a bad guy. I get it, yeah, but yeah. but I'm 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 a little softer than you on this because a I'm not voting for any of these people. B mm-hmm. none of them are getting my money, and C a lot of them do help. A lot of them did help in getting conservative voices to vote against Trump in 2020, I and really I can't think discount they that. Did I mean I I, I don't. I don't know if you if you if they really move the needle at all on conservative. I think people who are who are Trumpers who are into Trump. I don't think you can convince them otherwise. You know, it's a, it's a, as it's been pointed out many times. It's a cult, and the fact that the Lincoln Project might have done like a clever TV ad uh, or an ad that was on YouTube and Twitter, like oh, I, I don't think it really makes any it made any big difference in the election. The people who make a difference. Who got Joe Biden elected are the Democratic or Democrats who went out and worked and canvassed and and all the people who voted for Joe Biden, not the not the millionaires who made uh, who who got rich off of uh, grifting people on their (laughs) never Trump. Fair enough. Look, all, all I want, Frank, I just want to congratulate you for doing better in the New Hampshire primary than Dean Phillips, uh, as you pointed out in your tweet. Yeah, I, I mean, despite his incredible uh <laughs> Charisma. And, and and you might have heard, I, I heard earlier, although it's not clear, I hear that friend of the show, Marianne Williamson, 
is leaving the race. Is, is I heard the same thing yesterday. Marianne's done the Mary, Marianne's done the show a couple times during this campaign. I, I had her on. I had Cenk Uger on too. I'll, I'll, they're running as Democrats. They're not running third party, right. and they're not going to knock Joe Biden off. And I like hearing what they both have to say. They're both old friends, so I have them I on. Like, I'll, I'll uh, have, yeah, I'll have any of them on. I've, I've only met I only met her. Not, I didn't really meet her, but I, she was over the phone when yes. when I was on, and she and we interviewed her. That's but, right. Uh, and Jake is is a friend. I've known him for years and he's been very good to me. Uh, I don't agree with any of his. Uh, I even had like a argument on Twitter about his being anti Biden and um, and all. That. Right. But uh, well, but, but I, I had him on because I think he, he he made some really smart points about why the Constitution does allow naturalized citizens to run for president and the Civil Rights Act of 64 does as well. And so I wanted to have him on to discuss those arguments. And he was very compelling to me. And I, I think I think he got some votes in New Hampshire, which means he just became the first Muslim American to ever get votes for president and the first naturalized citizen to ever get votes for president. So, you know, uh, good on that. But I want to know what you think of this uh, media coverage of the Republican Civil War, because it's just like Iowa last week, Frank. They want to come out and say that Donald Trump had this incredible victory. And then when you look at it and look at the, you know, how well Nikki Haley did, Donald Trump either lost almost half the Republicans or he got none of the independents. It's not a great victory at all. Yeah, I mean, but but he's he's going to get the nomination, though. I mean, that's that's the main thing, right? So he's going to get the nomination, but his party is deeply divided over. He's not this runaway favorite. Okay, so he won Iowa and he won New Hampshire. But I mean, in both of those contests, half the voters didn't i mean only well, only seven percent seven percent of registered republicans in iowa showed up to vote for him last week in the caucus it's yeah. not the huge it sweeping like win the, they're the selling republican it as. primary is this big fight between a small group of people and among that small group of people donald trump is the most popular so that's the it. thing that's reassuring is that then that gives us hope that in the general election he, he's really going to tank and, um, and we, we, we can only only hope that uh, that 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 really is the case. You know? But we have a lot of callers who want to weigh in, Mr. Conniff. And I also want to talk to you yeah. about Nikki Haley and the Oscars. Maybe not in that order. Do you want to talk to some of our evil army of the night? I'd love to. Let's go say hi to Sean on line two. Sean, welcome. You're on Sirius XM with Frank Conniff. Hey, brother Frank Conniff and brother John. So, yeah, I'm telling you, I mean, we are in this situation right now where it's up to us to decide where we go in the future here. And I totally agree in the sense that, um, you know, if we listen to the media, right, the so-called media, um, you're going to think it's a legitimate, you know, presidential candidacy with Donald bin Laden. This dude is out on bail, and he's in all these trials, and he should be imprisoned or detained at least. Absolutely. Or have, and so I get fired up because I think our biggest challenge here going forward, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with it, is, is making sure that people know that this guy could be changing everything in this country. That's the yeah. big even thing. More, you know, even more than yeah. he already has. Yeah, he already has. And remember, Obama's hope and change, right? And that was, <laughs> Obama, was he, he did a lot. 
But if you let Donald bin Laden back in, it's not going to be hope and change. It's going to be change and listen to what the fuck I say, motherfucker, because nope. I'm going to own this motherfucker. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, we absolutely. we can't overstate the fact that if Donald Trump did somehow get a second term in the White House, he'd be so awful at it and only surround himself with incompetent yes men. There'd be no adults in the room this time, and it would be an even greater big fuck than the first term. Uh, there'd be a lot of suffering, but comedically, I, I'm sorry. I think it would be fresh. I think we'd find lots of things <laughs> to ridicule him <laughs> forever. As I, I awful just, as mean, it would be, will, I think comedians would will. lead us through the fog. We will find things to talk about, but I, I and I, we, we, I think we talked about this the last time it was on. For I say, for the sake of comedy, I want Donald Trump to go away. Me too. I think he's he's a tired comedy premise. He might oh, die so much. He's so what's much. the deal? He's he's today's equivalent of what's the deal with drive-through windows? Dogs and cats. And How are they different? You leave the seat up in the and, men's room, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, every food. hack. And Hack premises from the nineties, and not that there hasn't been funny stuff done about him, but <laughs> overall, he he is a hack premise. He's and, worse uh, than that. He's worse than a hack. Yeah. He's he's an open mic artist yelling at the audience for not laughing at his jokes. He's the guy at the open mic saying "fuck you guys, I'm funny." He's that guy. He's not even a hack. Yeah, he's the uh, he's the hack ruining the open not, mic. Not good, and and you know what? The thing I was I, I wanted broke. to say too about and he's uh, broke. You're right. He is broke. Go ahead, Frank. You, you talk about that um, he didn't do well with independent voters. I just want to I, I can't comment on independent voters because of everyone. They're the ones that I really don't get. I don't get mm -hmm. them at all. They're like, oh, I can't decide. Do I want um, the experienced uh, John senator and vice him. president and president or do I want the rapist? I can't decide. I'm independent. <laughs> I'm, I'm weighing all these. I'm like, what the fuck is the matter? I don't with know. On the way, on the, I don't know. I mean, both sides of both sides have lost their minds, people. On the one side, you got this. You got this rapist who's also a racist who also stole. And he said he wants the economy to collapse and he doesn't want Congress to have a border deal. But then you got Joe Biden, and he thinks women should have control of their own bodies. Both sides have oh, lost wow. their mind, Frank. I don't know where to. Yeah. I, I WAP is down. Look, Trump might be an authoritarian white supremacist who who rapes women and steals from children's charities. But Joe Biden sometimes buys ice cream waffle cones. So oh, it's, it's going to oh. be a tough choice this November. Oh, so woke. So woke. <laughs> oh, Sean. wide awake. Anyway, I love you guys. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Thank you so much. Richie in L.A., you're on with TV's Frank. What's up, Richie? Hi, Frank. Well, you know, hey. Donald Trump is like the open micer with a lot of with who gets extra time because he's all those fans on social media following him. <laughs> yeah, right. He's, uh, he's the he's he's a regular Matt Rife with his. Yeah. Um, he says, yeah, I don't care. Well, I'm funnier than Nikki Haley. Besides, I put her on my show. What she want to put on her own show for? <laughs> uh, um, apropos um, American Indian shows, American Indian Airwaves is on Pacifica, 7 p.m. on Thursdays. So if you, think, cool. if you consider Pacifica oh, okay. a network. I, I love I've Pacifica. On, we, we've both been on uh, we, Pacifica. I was on Pacifica in October. Yeah. I was back in L.A. at their studios, yeah. I don't know if it's I national. I love Pacifica, there. but it's only it's only national on the on the radio. But yeah, they're great. And 
The best unplugged was Rat in 1990. Oh, stop it with your lies. Stop you. Shut your whore mouth. Rat <laughs> you was know, not the best. You know who was Shut on your that? whore mouth. No, Rat no. was not the greatest of the um. How dare you, sir? Yes, yes, it had Michael. No. Schenker. Yes, it did have Michael Schenker. Look, just because you're into Shankers doesn't mean Rat had. I'm sorry. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand firm on this. No, Nirvana oh, okay. and Paul McCartney right. and Jay Z had the best of the unplugged. Now, did you even hear the rat unplugged? No, because it's rat. Well, you can't. <laughs> well, you know, but I will. Gonna, what goes around comes around. Um, okay, I'll have to. I, oh. I, I'll, I'll. I'll. I'll get my hair gel out and go back to rat. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, apropos, Joe Coy. Yes. Um, he wrote all my jokes tonight. So wait- watch what you no, say. What I know a waitress at the at the NoHo Diner who said he left the best tip of any customer. She's ever had. He's uh, a nice person. That's that's, that's a yeah. uh, certainly uh, in his favor. If you're a good yeah. tipper, that probably means you're going to heaven. If you're a good tipper, that counts but, for me. Uh, I uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, but you know what I was thinking too. You know the um, uh, the Oscars came out this week, and and yeah, uh, you know Greta Gerwig um, and uh, Margot Robbie not getting nominations. It was kind of overblown the controversy, but. But in a way, I think it was like the Academy validating uh, his uh, boobies joke. You know, it's like, <laughs> we're not going to give them a, a nomination because uh, uh, because uh, because uh, Oppenheimer is about a great historical uh, man yeah. and and Barbie's about boobies. I mean, it, oh, it's kind of oof. like that attitude, you know. Right. I think yeah, but somewhat, you know, although I, I do, I, I don't think it's a tragedy though that they didn't get nominated because i want to talk about that with you she, can we, she can we... got nominated as, as a producer and, exactly and greta got nominated well, as, as a writer so and a producer so greta has two yeah. oscar nominations this year go ahead yeah, you see they just should have said it was about something that created cancerous boobies oh how dare you how dare shut your <laughs> whore mouth <sorry>. oh. <laughs> go listen go listen to oh. rat unplugged you all right well, well other thing is I, yeah. I have a very strong, and when I find out who Rat is, I'm going to have a very strong opinion on it. <laughs> They're this. one of those new bands, Frank. They're, it's way too contemporary yeah. and current for yeah. you. Go go on. I'm sure <laughs> they are. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Richie, do you have one more thing you want to add on top of this Sunday, or are we wrapped up? Uh, no, I got one more. Thank All you right, for asking. Hey, I, please. Uh, oh, no, the, uh, the Detroit Lions have a German player, Amon Ross St. Brown. Oh, now finally something I can talk about. See, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I met him because he went to USC. He was a he was at an event for German NFL fans before the Super Bowl two years ago. Oh, how relevant to everything we've been discussing? Is there well, a pot of is. gold well, at the end of this rainbow? See, is this t- just your small see, talk was, practice? Well, I don't. Wasn't I well, telling you that earlier, John? What were you telling well, me earlier? Had, well, about the German well, football well, player who went to the fan festival. You told me so many stories I had to cram them all into the opening monologue. I must have missed the German Open Air Festival. Well, you know well, what? I, I actually have a very up, uh, up-to-date Detroit Lions <laughs> reference. How about that George Plimpton uh, playing for the right? And Am I right? <laughs> That's right. I knew it would cross over into cinema. It was a great quarterback sneak. Oh, now you've got right. Frank Connor telling sports jokes. You've broken TV's, Frank, sir. How dare you? I'm, I got to go hit a break or they're going to yell at me. I got to hit a break or I'm going to Sirius XM jail. Thank you, Richie. Frank, don't leave your, your recliner because I got to talk about these Oscars when you come back because okay. uh, you're, you're right. Also, who would have thought we'd see not one but two great 
Best Supporting Actor performances that are comedic from actual That's, satires. That was another. Never we'll talk about it in just Barbie. a second. Okay, well, let, 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 exactly. It's an actual satire. Uh, Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. This is Progress. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A little bit of breaking news. Vince McMahon has resigned from a... Pro wrestling. He has left his position at WWE. However, there's a reasonably solid chance he's faking it. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Frank, I want to give you a chance to uh, wish a very, very happy and healthy and hot engagement to Senator Tim Scott. He finally proposed to the girl of his dreams, and she said yes this week. Have you ever seen a man try this hard to be vice president? Have you ever seen a black man try this hard to make a racist like him? It's it's beautiful, and I, it, I just I, I congratulate the wedding planner on getting the full deposit up front. I think he looks more distinguished with a beard. So, uh, you know. Here's a clip. With his campaign over and his dignity smeared across the bottom of Donald Trump's loafers, Tim Scott is suddenly uh, reconsidering his decision to leave Congress after his term expires. When you ran for re-election in the Senate a couple of years ago, you said that would be your last go at it for the Senate. Uh, Has that changed? And is there a national, another national run for you down the road? Listen, there's no doubt that uh, serving the great people of South Carolina has been such a blessing. And every day I hear from a lot of South Carolinians asking me to reconsider and run again. And so you have to listen to your voters as you move forward. We'll see what happens. And the possibility of a national run down the road? Yeah, 28 is not that far away. We'll see what happens by making sure that we're successful in 24. Oh, yeah. Run again at 28. Please do that. Um, Frank, you know, it it takes a lot for me to defend Nikki Haley. But the other night, she gave Tim Scott a job in the Senate. She appointed him to the Senate. He didn't run as a nobody to become senator. She hired him. She picked him to be senator. I forgot all about that. And the other night, he stands on stage next to Donald Trump while Trump is hurling his racist and sexist attacks at her. And he just laughed until he broke out in a tap dance. I could not believe it, Frank. It takes a lot to make me feel empathy for Nikki Haley. Well, it's it was almost as undignified as in two weeks when Nikki Haley is on that stage with Donald Trump supporting him. 
you know. It's going to happen, right? It'll, it'll take well, a month. Absolutely. It'll take Everyone a month. She's going to stay like, in there. Yeah, she's she's going to support him and eat shit. And, um, you know, uh, you know, look at the choices are Donald Trump or someone who worked in the Donald Trump administration. It's really not that <laughs> that vast a, a plethora of choices what a spectrum. right there. Yeah, I, I think that she's going to hang out for another month at least to campaign in North and South Carolina, her home state. Donald Trump was already going to win South Carolina, and now he Ooh. is going to spend millions of MAGA money. He should be paying E. Jean Carroll, but he's going to spend millions of it more in South Carolina to smear her in a state he was already going to win. I just see the two of them burning through conservative donor dollars, Frank, at an alarming yeah, rate. Yeah. And it's kind and, of beautiful. And, and what's what's the whole what's the point of it? I mean, she's uh, she's not going to be she's not going to be the Republican nominee. And um, so unless he drops out. I, I don't see that happening unless, you know, a, a medical thing, which even I agree. if he. Even if he drops dead, he's still going to get a good report from his medical doctor. That he's in perfect health. <laughs> but uh, that, yeah, the only thing is, like, I don't ever see him dropping out because of the uh, convictions or the indictments or anything like that. That supposedly that helps him with his base, which I believe. Yeah. I agree. But in Nikki Haley's case, I think she's going to hang in the race. She's going to amass as many delegates as she can. There will be Republicans to vote. I mean, she she got like 46 percent of the vote last week and the rest of them are demanding she step down. She's doing quite well. I mean, she's not going to win it, but she is certainly going to guarantee her future and guarantee that she can go into that convention being a power broker. But I will tell you, man, you are so right. As awful as these two are being to each other right now, they're both the same kind of grifter. And she yeah. will gladly be his running mate and embrace him on stage after all these racist attacks. And after all oh, of her absolutely. comments about his diminished capacity and how he doesn't know where he is, she'll bow down to him. Absolutely. You know, so like I said, it, it all seems very pointless. And, and if Nikki Haley is a, a power broker in the Republican convention, a power broker with what? With who? Like, like what would she yeah. negotiate for? Like, I, the whole party is just, what Trump wants, Trump gets. There's no negotiation. Trump wouldn't even allow them to make a border deal. You know, they they, exactly. they listen to what he said. There's no such thing as a back and forth where I have this kind of power. So can you make a concession here? There's nothing like that. It's just an authoritarian, um, uh, powerful guy uh, running the whole thing. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Aaron is on the line from New York State. Aaron, welcome. You're on SiriusXM. Please tell me everything about Vince McMahon. What, what's going on? Is this about the uh, the sexual assault accusation? Yeah, absolutely. So, but first of all, I want to say, John, you're my favorite uh, Crispin Glover, uh, Crispin Glover doppelganger. Oh, um, been, thank you uh, so much. <laughs> I've been a longtime caller, first time listener. Thank you. Um, but <laughs> thank you. <What> so, <laughs> so. You know who Vince McMahon is, correct? Yeah, I know who Vince McMahon is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Of course. So there was this lawsuit that was, that was just brought up a few days ago by a former employee um, yeah. accusing him of uh, basically sex trafficking her, sex trafficking her um, with him and other employees of WWE. The, and, it um, came out the day before he resigned. That's why it's crazy. Yeah. So, but I mean, if, if, if you if you go on the interwebs and read this lawsuit, it's it's incredibly disgusting. Well, I mean, it's incredibly disgusting. What I mean, if you look into email, it, I mean, but he he spent over over a sixteen year period. He spent almost fifteen million dollars in payments to women who accused this guy of sexual misconduct. This is nothing new. No, he's no, you're absolutely right. Out of jam I mean, many I mean, times. 
so I, I've been a wrestling fan since I was six years old. So that's 1987. And I think mm-hmm. WWF was the was the first. You know, when when I started watching, uh, I started watching. I've been watching it ever since up up to up to this very day. So I know who this man is, and I know he's he's you know he's he's. It's very disturbing, and yes, it is. What's 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 the uh, censorships on 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 Sirius XM? You can say whatever you want here. So this guy needs to go fuck himself and just disappear. Thank from you. Whoa, you can't say that altogether. No, I didn't know that. I did. I had no idea you were going to say the f word, sir. That that's our line. You should have warned me in advance, Frank. I know I you're a huge fan of you're a huge fan of pro wrestling, right? Or or are you 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 actually made the leap to full gay porn last year, didn't you? <laughs> um, Ooh, well, not that's no, a, not that's, quite. That's I, 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 I dabble. I well, dabble every once in a while, but. I understand. Listen, I watching a bunch of sweaty guys in bikini briefs wrestle. We all have needs. Frank, are you, are you a fan of the of the pro wrestling? Uh, you know what? I don't follow pro wrestling, but I, I think what's really messed up about all this is um, I don't follow it, but but I appreciate it as a very um, American kind of form of entertainment that that yeah. should just should just be a goofy fun thing. Uh, that people go to as entertainment and it's all fake, but that's part of the fun of it. And it, that's it's, part of the fun of it. There, there, I mean, I know of See, comedy no, writers. Who, no, no, I know, no, of, no. I, I know, of, can, I know can, of people. Can, who can, hired, let him finish. Let him finish. I, let him finish. I, go I know, ahead, I know of people who, who were hired to write for the WWE, you know, to create the scenarios. Yeah. It, it's a form of entertainment. It's, it's, it's theater. And it's, uh, it's sports and, entertainment, Frank. It's legally yeah. classified as sports entertainment. Yeah. For and, legal and, purposes. And I, I'm completely. I complete. Oh yeah, Patrice O'Neill. So I Patrice wrote for. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I'm completely like think it it should just be uh, you know as successful as it can be, and if people love it, that's great. But all these sleazy people who are involved with it, it just fucks it all up. Yeah, I'll say. See now, now, now the, the one thing that Frank said that kind of pissed me off was saying that it's <laughs> fake because. It's, it's more it's, it's predetermined, but it's not. Shall we say staged? Shall we say staged? staged? Would you find that less objectionable? Yeah. Staged. No, so, so, so me take take me. I'm 250 pounds. Meticulously choreographed. Uh, choreographed. So, it's like, like take me. I'm 250 pounds. Say I were to jump on you while you're laying on the table. That's gonna hurt, right? Unless we've rehearsed well, it extensively, even, and I know no, what I mean, we're doing. It's, it's it's done skill. That's what I mean, though. Is that yeah. it's, it's a very skillful. Th- form of theater that's presented by professionals and um it's uh, when i say fake, and one I mistake only needed, one I only mistake can mean injury sense, or death yes yeah one i only mistake mean can in be the death. sense that it's not like a football game or a baseball game where it's not predetermined you know it's not a competition so um yeah it's 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 not a competition it's theater it's entertainment and god bless it for that i think um, we're going to lose aaron no matter what get, aaron's going to aaron's going to give up on us frank <laughs> no, no, yeah, Aaron. Hey, good. Hey, John, I, 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 I I'm going to hang out, but I love your show. You're the best out of all of Patriot, out of uh, uh, um, Channel you. 127. You're the best because thank you. Not only do you talk politics, but you talk about history, and I love listening to your show. Thank you so much, and and, and not enough wrestling, but I'll work on that. Eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight. So, Frank, uh, Ryan Gosling for Barbie mm-hmm. and Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction are both up for Best Supporting Actor, and. Not only are they both 
for comedy roles in comedy Ooh. films, but they're both for comedy roles in satires. And that's Ooh. something that didn't get, I mean, in that sense, that totally shocks me. Um, and while I'm sorry that, you know, uh, Margot Robbie didn't get a Best Actress nomination, I, I've seen the five nominees. I can't tell you which one of them I would replace to, to put her name in there. I, I think it's a sign of a healthy society when we're all getting mad and fighting over the Oscars again. I think that means the plague <laughs> is over and we're all just like embracing silliness. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, and I think that um, Barbie and I haven't seen American Fiction. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. But Barbie, uh, I think, had uh, going against it is that it's a comedy, and and uh, aside yeah. from its being a woman's picture, aside from that, the fact that it's a comedy, any comedy, uh, it's 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 an uphill battle to get recognized That's by right. the Academy. And I think so I know. Uh, the Apartment won for Best Picture in 1960. And then there wasn't another comedy to win until 1977 with Annie Hall. And then I don't know if there were, there's probably been one since then, but I can't. Shakespeare in Love. Shakespeare, Shakespeare in Love. Love. Yeah, which people were outraged that Shakespeare in Love uh, beat Saving Private Ryan. But I, I was totally cool with the fact that, that the Academy Awards were honoring a romantic comedy, um, which which is as valid a genre as anything. And Shakespeare in Love is a terrific movie. And Saving Private Ryan is a terrific opening and a terrific closing of the movie. I agree. The second act is just is, is not great. <laughs> I completely agree. But yeah, yeah I mean, and the, the artist, I guess you could say the artist or even Chicago oh, or comedies or sort oh, of. Yeah, well, but... Chicago, it's a, a musical. Yeah. Chicago, the artist could, holds up great, by the way. Movie. I just watched I just watched the artist again over Christmas with my kid. Holds up great. Oh, OK, cool. Yes, yeah, Chris. I, uh, I don't think well, Chicago just, will hold up as well. But. I'm looking up. I mean, this isn't the best picture, but I was surprising the amount of actors who've been nominated and or won for being in comedies. comedies. But how, how often uh, I have mean, they won? Oh, I mean, well, Peter, uh, no, I'm looking. No. It just says nominated, Peter nominated, Sellers nominated. Never won. Peter Sellers never nominated, won a nominated. Times. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, Doctor no, was Jack, was Jack Palance. Jack. Yeah, Palance. that was a comedy. Sure. He, that, that counts. But and that was also and and yeah. uh, Marissa Tomei. Oh Marissa yeah, Tomei. And that was an 30, example. 30 Alan Arkin. Too, I think. Ooh, Alan Arkin is a good one. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'm doing my Kevin Pollack. <laughs> impersonation of Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin, but not for the Jerky but, Boys movie. Right, right. But um, Marissa Tomei, I think, was a, is a good example of a really talented um, a woman who was disparaged and, and her Oscar very well deserved. That performance has so stood the test of time, her performance in My Cousin Vidi. Um, I agree. It's, it's a great performance. And when she won... People were like, oh, how could she win? You know, the, the, Jack Palance must have been drunk and, and read the name wrong. I know. Everyone, said, well, everyone thought Judy Davis. Everybody thought Judy Davis was going to win for Woody Allen's Husbands and Wives because she's right. incredible. And, and that, in that. I would have been. Yeah, she is incredible in that. But um, but Marissa Tomei, uh, I have no problem with her getting uh, that. That was a great, a really great well, I performance. Think- I think and you're going to see disparage it just because it's a comedy and husbands and wives, which is also a comedy, but it's also a drama and very heavy. And uh, the, yeah. Judy Davis's performance in that was very dramatic. 
I think you're going to see an actor win an Oscar for a comedy this year with uh, Paul Giamatti in The Holdovers. And what's ironic about that is I think you're going to see Divine Joy Randolph win an Oscar for the same movie as a drama. And he's going to win it as a comedy. But I, I think he's going to be. win Best Actor I, this and year. Think, and it, uh, and it's a great comic role. The Holdovers is going to take uh, Best Original Screenplay, too. That's my, my prediction. Really? And, and uh, you know Probably what I watch? Right. I will be really surprised if Oppenheimer doesn't take everything because it's yeah, such a uh, it, it's such a traditional kind of prestige Oscar film. It's it's like it's like a modern David Lean movie. You know, it's the kind of movie that always used to get Oscars. I know. And I, know. Um, and I, and I you know, I never have really liked Christopher Nolan that much, but. I watched it for the second time the other night. It's such a fucking great movie. I've like, got to I, see it for the second time then, because I just, I, I, I liked it. I appreciated it, but I don't think, I don't put it in the same category as, as holdovers or killers of the flower moon or, um, or poor, poor things or zone of interest, I think are all just, you know, but I, I liked my, no one wants to hear my issues is that the Robert, the Robert Downey character seems to exist and he's going to win the Oscar. And I think De Niro deserves it. Uh, he's great in it, but the, the character exists to make Oppenheimer the sympathetic victim in the story. And it's about the guy who built the atomic bomb. We never see Japan. We never see people destroyed in Japan. Mm-hmm. And yet Oppenheimer is still the victimized hero in the film because they contrived it to make someone else the bad guy in the story of the man who built the bomb that killed oh. hundreds of thousands of people. And so on a, on just on a structural level, I, I, I got to see it again because I couldn't get over that the first yeah, I time. I thought it was great. I, luckily for me, I have no morals about people being killed in nuclear war. So. Oh, I, I, listen, as long as it's entertaining. 866-997-4748. David Washington, you're on with TV's Frank. Hello. Yeah. Hi, Dave. John. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey, Frank. Hey. The, um, I had a, a comment about the... I had a comment about the the Middle East, and, and I don't understand. I, I get you know the the we go uh, high, they go low thing. That's mm-hmm. admirable and noble and everything. But my question is this: At what point do we tell the truth? And um, you know, Donald Trump is primarily responsible for all that. You know, Donald when we got Trump out of the is primarily responsible for the Middle East. Yeah, yeah, the problems in the Middle East. All right, look, when we got out of Dude, the, the, uh, the I don't Iran know how to tell you. Those problems, those problems were there long before Donald Trump oozed his way yeah. out of his rape hole reality show. But look, look, who got us out of the nuclear deal with Iran? And then when we were out Trump. of the nuclear deal, when, 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 the nuclear, when we withdrew from the nuclear deal, all those resources and money went to Iran, Iranian-backed proxies in the region. Now, I mean, it's getting to the point to where, all right, it's ridiculous because you have um, Iranian. Uh, let's forget about who killed Soleimani and and Mahdi uh, Muhandis. Yes, right. Blew him up right outside of Baghdad International I Airport. Just, I just, I just, you know, no one likes blaming Donald Trump for things more than me. I just, I'm sorry. I think it's the policies against uh, 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 Palestine for generations and the incredible Nazi terrorism of Hamas that caused this. I think it's the leaders of I those mean, two sides. And I mean, I'll throw in Arab leaders as well who allow the people of Palestine to live in suffering and humiliation. But I, I, as much as I want to blame Trump for everything, I just there's there's some things I just, you know, you you can say that. I mean, he he didn't he didn't help things by moving the embassy embassy to Jerusalem. And uh, what was that whole thing with touching the orb? 
Remember the orb? Touching the orb with the Saudis? Yeah. Well, the Saudis, I mean, I blame the Saudis more than Trump because the Saudis are the ones who are very willing to let, you know, Palestine suffer so Israel can be a big bad guy so the Saudi royal family doesn't look as evil to the region. Like, I just, I just think all these people are, are awful. Well, I brought this up to Congressman uh, Ro Khanna today about, like, this U.N. This, this UN uh, well, it's not a ruling, but it's a... Was this on Tom Hartman? Was he on Tom Hartman's show? Yes, and, and I brought this up with Ro Khanna. Look, uh, the U.N. is saying that no ceasefire, okay? It didn't surprise me. But here's the thing, though. Um, when are we going to start talking about posts? Uh, the poor Palestinians. When are we going to start talking about them? And, and frankly, we, talk about we need to work... We have to work with... The Republicans. This is why I brought it up to Congressman Connor. We have to work with the Republicans because if not, John, I think you know this because you've alluded work to it. Work with the Republicans on sabotage. what? Work uh, with them post, on what? Post how we're going to rebuild that country. All right, Republicans all right, are fine with every. Republicans are fine with every Palestinian woman and child being slaughtered. I don't know who you're thinking you're going to work with on this. We have to have a ceasefire in the region. There has to be a two-state solution. Israel deserves to live in peace and be recognized. Palestine deserves to live in freedom with their own borders. I mean, that's it. It's either going to be more of this or full-scale genocide. Those are the three options. Got to hit a break, and I'm so sorry, but I thank you very much for the call. TV's Frank, uh, two things for you. One, it's Paul Newman's 99th birthday. What is your favorite Paul Newman movie or Paul Newman performance? Um, but I will say both are the same thing. And it's a very inside the box selection because everybody loves it. But Cool Hand Luke, um, which I saw in the theaters when it came out and I've watched over the years and it stand, it just really holds up so well as a, as a great movie and a great performance performance by Paul Newman. And I'll even yeah. go as far to say is that the scene between Paul Newman and his mother when she's sitting in the back of the pickup truck outside of the prison, that is better than the Brando Rod Steiger taxi cab scene. Gutsy call. Gutsy call. Even better scene than that. And, and he's great in it, but I also love the verdict and, uh, um, and I'll mention one that people probably haven't seen the prize, which is a goofy thriller that he was in, in the early sixties. It's just him giving a charismatic movie star performance. And yeah, he he was just always great. Chris, what's it for you? The the older I get, it's the verdict. I mean, maybe not his best film, but my favorite performance where he let himself just really just play this lost, hopeless loser alcoholic and the, who finds dignity. Still, that that movie just blows me away every time I watch it. What do you like, House Elf? Oh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Absence of Malice, a slap shot. Uh, yeah, I think he's great in slap shot. Slap shot is great. Gutsy call. Gutsy yeah. call. You know, he's he's so new. There's it's look, he's really likable and there's a lot of nuance in the stuff he does. Yeah, because there's such a variety of the roles he plays. Frank, what is the best way for another great movie of his that he wouldn't get cast in now because he's dead. Appropriation. Well, also is um, (laughs) is is ombre where he plays um, a half uh, half Native American character. That's right. Yeah, but, but be but careful if you're trying to download and... that movie, because there's a lot of gay porn with the same title. I'm just warning you now. <laughs> Don't ruin your well, date night I, like I did. That's how I originally found it. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, how do our listeners follow you and keep up with all your many doings? Uh, Frank Conniff on all of the social medias and uh, get tickets for the next Banterback show at dumb-industries.com and uh, themanserback.com. And um, 
And right any, on. Anywhere you shop for your self-promoting comedy, you can find. <laughs> come back and uh, come back and play with us next week, please, will you? Thank you. Thank you, Fridays with Frank. We gotta go. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Thea. I'm John Fugel saying keep it tuned to SiriusXM Progress. Peace. Peace.